Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. So, uh, first off, what a great event last night, WBT's News and Brews. Brews and News? Brews, news and Brews. I always get them confused. See, I say it one way, and then it doesn't sound right. It's like when you write out a word, and it's spelled correctly, but it just looks wrong for a minute. Anyway, great event. It was so great to hang out with everybody last night. I met a lot of really cool people, and uh, great conversation. Hung around. I guess I was there till probably uh, around 10 p.m., you know, because my view on it is I will I will hang out and talk with anybody as long as they want to wait around and talk to me. It's the least I can do. I, I don't understand it, but I will <laughs> I will oblige. Um, and so uh, a lot of fun. Uh, great folks. Thanks so much for making it uh, such a uh, success for the second straight time. We'll, we will be doing it again, and uh, we'll have details. Uh, and by the way, send me a message if there were particular... Um, aspects of the program uh, that you think were good uh, or aspects that were not good. That's fine, too. Just let me know. Always interested in your feedback. You can send it to Pete at the PeteCalendarShow.com. So uh, let's start with the anatomy of Hunter Biden. Uh, I'm sorry, his plea. The, uh, sorry, the Hunter Biden, the anatomy of Hunter Biden's plea deal collapse. All right, I should probably find a different way to say that because it just sounds, ugh, you know, well, with the laptop and all. But uh there's a fellow that I read from the other day. Uh, his name is Will Scharf, and uh, he is a former federal prosecutor. And uh, just before, about five minutes, actually, before I got on uh, the air here, I started uh, reading his piece that he has posted at thefederalist.com. And he has done what I was unable to do, which was, uh, well, not only go to law school, become a federal prosecutor and all of that stuff and have some experience in the field. I don't have any of that. But uh, he also read through the transcript of yesterday's uh, court hearing where the judge basically pumped the brakes. I don't want to say... I don't want to say rejected it because they're going to rework this thing and it's going to come back, I guess, in some form or fashion. We don't know what it's going to look like when it does. But uh, the judge in the case that was, I think a lot of people expected the judge to just kind of rubber stamp it. In fact, the judge got kind of ticked off about that. And she said, it feels like that's what y'all are trying to do to me is to just have me rubber stamp this deal and not ask any questions or not do my due diligence on it. She got kind of you know, ticked off about that. Um, but what he has done, uh, what Will Scharf has done, ha- is that he has read through the the transcript, um, and he has read through what apparently is just a very short plea agreement that was made public, the, the document that was made public. And what he, uh, see, what well, he comes to the conclusion, which is the conclusion that I came to without doing any research whatsoever, so I kind of feel like I could be a former federal prosecutor, but um, he ca- he comes to the conclusion that they were trying to pull a fast one on the judge. The prosecution, which in this case is, you know, the Department of Justice that is overseen by the defendant's father um, and the defendant's lawyers that they had entered into this plea agreement and they were trying to do an end run around the judge based on the way they structured the deal. 
And if any of this sounds familiar in its collusiveness, right? In North Carolina, we saw this very thing happen to a degree. I mean, it's a it's a difference without a distinction, right? Or a distinction without a difference. It, it is essentially the same thing that our attorney general, Josh Stein, who's you know now running for governor, it's the same thing he pulled with the plaintiffs uh, in the various lawsuits to try to uh, do end runs around our election law in 2020. They entered into a collusive settlement where you have the parties that are you know ostensibly on different sides of an issue, right? They're in an adversarial relationship in the courtroom, theoretically. But at their core, they all agree with where they want to go, with what should be the outcome. And so they just hammer out a a deal. And in the case of Josh Stein and the left-wing plaintiffs, uh, they cut out the Republican legislative defendants. They cut them out. So this way, the Republicans could not object to the nature of the collusive settlement. I'm sorry, Jan. I apologize. All right. I just got a message here from Jan. Uh... Pete, start off the show with Hunter's Anatomy. Come on. I'm eating lunch here. You are a bad man sometimes. That's that's fair. That's fair. I apologize. I didn't... I was just writing it up like that, and I didn't even think about... Okay. Um, <laughs> all right, so here's Will Scharf. And I, I'm going to go through a lot of this because, uh, once again, you know, you know, federal prosecutor uh, experience, law school, blah, 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 blah. He read all the documents. Okay, so he says, typically if the government is offering a defendant to either drop charges or decline to bring new charges in return for the defendant's guilty plea, that plea gets structured under what's called the Federal Rule of Criminal Procedure, or the FRCP, or as I call it, the FRCP. And it's under this one code called 11C1A which is not to be confused with 11C1B. So from now on, I'm just going to call it Section A and Section B, okay? So Section A is what you would normally, if the government is offering a plea deal to drop charges and to decline to bring new charges in exchange for a guilty plea, then that's covered under A. And if you do a plea under that section then they are, those uh, uh, plea agreements are subject to judicial approval. So if a judge thinks that the government's decision to not prosecute or dismiss some charges in exchange for the plea, in exchange for not just the plea for the guilty charges there, but also for other charges, if the judge thinks this is unjust, then the judge can reject the plea agreement. And this is what the Hunter plea agreement, Hunter Biden's deal, this is what they filed it under. Section A, or subsection A, if you want to get technical, under the FERCPA. So Hunter and his deal, uh, they thought they were going to be, you know, plead guilty to the two tax misdemeanor charges that were the subject of the plea. And then the government would agree not to prosecute Hunter Biden for unlawful possession of a firearm. But also... The FARA violations, which is the Foreign Agent Registration Act. And no prosecution for other crimes related to his international business schemes in China, in Ukraine, among others. So in any normal case, this would have been structured as a Rule 11C1A plea, which would have made it subject to judicial approval. Okay, that's what it should have been. 
And apparently, okay, I think I may have missed, I think I said that he was, that they filed it under A, but they didn't. They structured it under B. The parties were apparently worried that the judge might reject this broad grant of immunity from prosecution for all of those other things, not related to the gun charge and not related to the two years worth of tax evasion. Remember, there were there were other years of tax evasion that he has skated on because the uh, statute of limitations w- expired, I would argue, was allowed to expire because the DOJ slow-walked the IRS investigation so as to get them outside of the statute of limitations for 2014 and 2015 tax years, and that covered the income from Burisma. As a result, Hunter's plea was structured under a different provision, 11C1B, which is usually a plea agreement in return for a non-binding sentencing recommendation. And that does not give the court an ability to intervene or reject the plea. Okay? This is what Will Scharf argues is evidence that they tried to pull a fast one past the judge. And the judge was having none of it. All right, more on that in a minute. First, let me tell you, the Heritage Life Skills event was fantastic. Every year, Bill and Jan Sturette organized the event to help people get educated on how to be prepared for anything. The Sturettes own Carolina Readiness Supply, 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials you'll need for any kind of emergency. Food, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies, because being prepared is just smart. The Heritage Life Skills event brings educated and vendors from all over to help people do just that, I was honored to be able to be a small part of it. And whether you're an experienced prepper, have no clue what you're doing, or maybe you're somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you in Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? All right, back to Will Sharp's piece here at thefederalist.com, how a federal judge turned the tables on Hunter's plea deal. Um... So, remember, two different rules, Rule 11, C1A, Rule 11, C1B, okay? C1B means that the judge can't reject the plea, and that's what the the DOJ and Biden's lawyers, that's what they came forward under, that rule. Um, The problem is it should have been structured under A, according to Scharf, who's a former federal prosecutor. He says, to insulate Hunter Biden's plea from judicial oversight and the possibility of judicial rejection, Hunter's lawyers and the DOJ included no mention of the agreement not to prosecute Hunter Biden for further crimes in their agreement. They didn't mention it. Instead, they buried it in a separate pretrial diversion agreement, which they argued the judge was not a party to and therefore lacked the power to reject it. Publicly, the pretrial diversion agreement was described as applying just to the unlawful possession of a firearm charge. That's what we all heard, because that's what it was referred to as. That was the only information provided to the public. But that was a wild mischaracterization of the agreement, Scharf says. Included in the agreement is a provision that binds the United States government to not prosecute Biden for, quote, any federal crimes encompassed by the statement of facts which are attached to the plea agreement. Not the diversion agreement, but the plea agreement. So they put the statement of facts in the plea, and then they put this little line, 
in the diversion agreement. And what, what would that mean? Well, if you look at the statement of facts, it includes Hunter Biden's role with and compensation from Burisma, his role with and compensation from the Chinese private equity firm Bohai Harvest and Rosemont, three different entities. Hunter's holding company, Awasco, as well. Um, Hunter's consulting firm, Rosemont Seneca. And a couple other aspects of his controversial web of business relationships. In other words, Sharf says, if Hunter were allowed to complete probation, this pretrial diversion agreement would then prevent the DOJ from ever bringing the charges against him for any crimes related to the offense conducted under any of those other areas that's listed not in the plea agreement, but in this other document, which was purposely written to include his foreign influence peddling operations in China, Ukraine and elsewhere. This was the hide-the-ball act that the DOJ was willing to go along with Hunter Biden's attorneys. And this is what I said yesterday. I said, like, it seems, it sure seems like they thought they had some sort of a secret deal worked out where Hunter was going to skate on everything in the future. And when the judge asked simply, is he being investigated for anything else? And the DOJ had to say yes, because they're under oath and... Perjury is a disbarable thing for these lawyers, so they can't lie. And so they said, yes, he is. That opens up the door to say, well, wait a minute. You're you're cutting a deal with him on these these two tax evasions and one gun charge. And then that's going to clear him for any future investigation into the more serious stuff, including influence peddling, corruption, bribery that's connected to his father. You're going to you're going to let him skate on all of that. And you did it in such a way to try to hide it from the court and in such a way to try to prevent the judge from rejecting the deal. This looks really bad. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's military surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. We're talking about this, uh, the anatomy of Hunter Biden's plea deal collapse. I should stop saying it like that, but well, it's because well, if I say it's the TikTok, then people think it's the video. And uh, it's it's not video. They didn't allow video in there uh, in the courtroom. Dan, in an email, says, uh, even the intrigue of UFOs and little green folks isn't enough to steer the news consumers' focus away from the bus wreck-like spectacle of a felonious first family. All the Biden clan's crime drama and the sudden evaporation of young Hunter's sweetheart plea deal is still driving the media bus this week. You can bet the farm that the lead counsel at Team Biden will be uh, burning the midnight oil to rework a new wrist slap plea deal for old Yeller's baby boy. Yeah, we call Joe Biden. We call him a lot of things like uh, bribing. Well, yeah, that's uh, well, that's really it. Um but also Old Yeller, because 
Remember the story a couple weeks ago? They tried to let us know that it shows that he's forceful and he's with it and he's not at all like crazy old man yelling at clouds. That's why he yells at everybody. And it's a sign of endearment, you see. He only abuses staffers that he respects and loves, don't you know? Anyway, uh, back to Dan's email. He says, personally, I would bet a crisp Andrew Jackson that some dog bites, severe prosecutorial fireworks are about to happen in, in the next 10 days to two weeks. That is, if it even takes that long. Uh, I'm hoping to be able to trade in my Let's Go Brandon hat for an Adios Brandon hat by the end of August. <laughs> we shall see. Um, see, this is the thing. Eventually, the truth outs, right? Eventually... This stuff does become known. It breaks through. And um, I think like this is this is where we are. I've talked to you um, in the past about like some of the the news sources that I go to, uh, if not to aggregate some stories, but at a minimum to see what stories are moving, how they're being covered or not being covered, how many outlets are covering them. And the, there's an aggregator website called Memorandum. It's uh, it, it definitely has a leftward tilt. Okay, um, and you can see all of the stories that that are moving and uh, the discussions that are occurring on different websites and the like. And um, today, it, well, I can double check it right now, actually. Uh, but earlier today, when I went over there, it was the collapsing plea agreement. Of course, now it's right. Right, I pulled it up right now, and the top story in multiple versions and all sorts of links. CNN, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, USA Today, The Hill, The Messenger, CNBC, Associated Press, Washington Times. You get the idea. It's all raw story. Political Wire, Politico, HuffPost. Trump's legal team meets with special counsel as federal indictment looms. See, this to me is like, okay, fine. They had a meeting. Is there an indictment yet? Why are we spending, why do you spend all of this news oxygen on a meeting about something that that is expected to happen in the future and you're ignoring the stuff that just happened oh my gosh this is actually way more coverage than i just noticed it's like i'm just scrolling here it's all about this meeting and then finally you get to rejected plea deal so that was earlier today the rejected plea deal and this thing now has a lot i mean not as many as the trump meets with the uh the prosecutors thing but you've got axios doing a story, Politico doing a story, two stories, USA Today with a story, and that's it. I mean, there are other discussion items under those uh, headings, but nothing like you're seeing with the Trump legal team meeting with the special counsel. And this is why I almost wonder if, you know, Barack Obama was a master at this, um, and they had a a stated strategy of winning the 24-hour news cycle. That was their comms strategy. To win whatever today was, to win today. Now, granted, that is a lot easier if you are a Democrat because, you know, media. Um, but that was their goal. And I suspect that's what we're seeing with this stuff, which is why you end up with, hey, we've got, uh, you know, we got some bad news. Let's throw something out about something else. This gets into your stray voltage strategy that the Obamas used. And, and, and you're kidding yourself if you don't think that those strategies exist now particularly in the Biden administration, with all of the holdovers uh, from the Obama administration, right? Stray voltage strategy is, at any given time, there is sort of a political energy in the atmosphere. 
and uh, th- this is you know different stories and rumors there's this you know political energy news energy that's kind of out there and if you uh if you don't direct it someplace it'll eventually build up and then it'll bzz, shock you unexpectedly when you're reaching for a door handle right so rather than be surprised when it zaps you direct it someplace i do this all the time with actual you know static electricity which is i will like if i'm getting out of the car i'll go and i'll just tap my hand against the the door right to knock the to hit the metal so it's it it, it if i'm going to get a a a, a shock it's gonna, it's going to be directed and that's the strategy that the obama team used directed someplace this was a lot of the stuff about his birth certificate they allowed that to go on because it gave them opportunities to use their stray voltage strategy and they're explicit they told major garrett about this in interviews i'm not making this up this isn't like theory this is what they did so why wouldn't the biden people be doing this and here's the thing about the ufo uh hearings yesterday you know how i well I shouldn't say I know because I don't know, but here it is my belief that none of that was true. And you know why? One simple fact that the government is allowing it to be told. That's it. And that's sad for me to be in that uh, that position, but that's where I am now. Like if they're willing to bring these people in, oh I know they're whistleblowers and all, but if the government is telling me something is true, I'm 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 wondering if it's not. <laughs> so, uh and maybe that's why, or maybe there are enough people that are like, yeah, we already knew UFOs exist. And, and so not, it's just not a big deal anymore. So back to the um, Will Sharf piece at thefederalist.com, talking about this, uh, the collapse of the deal. He talks about how there are two different documents. One was the plea agreement and one was the diversion agreement. The diversion agreement was about the gun charge, and it was in there that they they tucked away the little provisions about not being able to charge Hunter Biden ever on anything related to the statements of fact that were over in the plea agreement. And when you read the plea agreement, you realize, holy crap, this covers every single thing that Hunter Biden did illegally over the last decade. And that's why this was blanket immunity in perpetuity. That's what they were, and he thought he was going to walk out of there and skate. They brought some roller skates out there. He was lacing them up in the courtroom. It was really weird. But he thought he was free, that they had hammered out this deal. They would get the judge to rubber stamp it because they told her she couldn't do anything because they filed it under the rule of, um, rule 11C1B. But in fact, it should have been filed under 11C1A. And so when she starts asking questions, the whole thing falls apart. In an apparent effort to shield Hunter Biden from a new administration, which might try to throw out the pretrial diversion agreement by claiming he had violated his probation terms, they included a provision which even they admitted was entirely novel, with no precedent, stating that the government could not deem Hunter to have violated the agreement without first proving up violations in front of the judge. So the agreement that they stated, uh, the agreement they stated the judge had no role in and no ability to reject also put the judge in a position of having to sign off on any future prosecution. And that's, that's what raises the constitutional arguments. And she smelled a rat. The judge, Noreka, smelled a rat. She understood that the lawyers were trying to paint her into a corner. They were playing hide the ball while forcing her to rubber stamp their absurd bargain. And she was having none of it. 
Joe or uh, Hunter Biden's plea deal falls apart. And for the be- this is this is from ABC News now. For the better part of three hours, U.S. District Judge Mary Ellen Noreka, Noreka, Nor Noreka, Nor whatever Noreka, she scrutinized nearly every facet of the plea deal, prompting shrugs, audible exhales frantic glances, and other expressions of discontent from the government's attorneys and defense counsel alike. Hunter Biden had originally agreed to acknowledge his failure to pay taxes on income he received in 2017 and 2018. In exchange, prosecutors would have recommended probation, meaning he would not, uh, sorry, he would likely have avoided prison time. Now, what ABC doesn't mention here is the years of tax evasion that he's allowed to walk on because they let the statute of limitations expire see for for all of us who have been following this story we know the details of this story we know why this is all so damning abc audience members will not know this stuff and when you read through their story you you notice what's missing and so if you have no idea and you're just approaching it from a brand new perspective not having any idea what the story's about you don't know what you don't know but you don't know about the burisma payments Right. You, you don't know about why this is a sweetheart deal. They just say, you know, re- that Republicans call it a sweetheart deal. Right. But why do they call it that? In court, a, uh, the judge, a Trump appointee. The judge raised concerns about the parties linking Hunter Biden's tax plea agreement to the deal on the gun charge over and and over whether or not a provision in the deal would grant Hunter Biden blanket immunity meaning that the government would not prosecute more broadly going forward. You know what ABC doesn't tell you? On what? What? Why would he need blanket immunity from prosecution more broadly going forward? Noreka ultimately deferred the plea deal after the hearing, lamenting on multiple occasions that the deal's uh, form over substance. On several occasions, she took issue with the agreement, including describing it as atypical and not straightforward. Now, they don't tell you why, like Will Scharf did. She says, I'm trying to exercise due diligence in my review. The three-hour hearing featured several turbulent interludes. Noreka's line of questioning about the possible immunity agreement expressed fissures between the two parties, and the discussion culminated in prosecutors threatening to bring charges under the FARA. The Foreign Agents Registration Act. You know what ABC doesn't tell you? Why? Why would why would there be charges under that? What's that got to do with tax evasion? That prompted Chris Clark, an attorney for Biden, to say, as far as I'm concerned, the plea agreement is null and void, stirring the courtroom into audible gasps. <gasps> Clark. See, here's the key. This is the tell. Chris Clark, Biden's attorney, thought the immunity was in the deal. Right? That's why he blew up and said it's all null and void. Because he thought it was already in there. Noreka ultimately requested additional briefings from the parties in the coming weeks before determining next steps. Quote, I'm not going to say I'm going to accept the agreement. I'm not going to say I'll deny it, she said. Toward the end of the hearing, she herself lashed out at the situation. Not at the people, of course, just at the situation. Repeatedly saying that she felt as though she was being asked to rubber stamp the deal. She was just, that's the situation. Oh, it's just the situation I'm in where I have to rubber stamp it. You know, it's not that prosecutors and the defense attorneys colluded in order to force me to, tr- uh, to try to force me to rubber stamp the deal. It's just the situation we find ourselves in. That's all. Don't ever change ABC, really. 
No, really, it's like job security for me. It's fantastic. Um, in an apparent effort to shield Hunter from the new administration, they tried to give him blanket immunity for stuff that was not part of the uh, the plea agreement, and they, they, they tucked a provision into the uh, the diversion agreement saying, oh, you know what, anything that's covered under the uh, 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 in the plea agreement in this list of the statement of facts, anything that might be related to any of that, yeah, that that's covered too by the gun probation charge result like that so in other words he's going to you know go on probation he can't be on drugs he can't buy a gun anymore he's got to keep his nose clean and um you know so he does that and he's he's off scot-free and um by being off scot-free for the gun charge probation then that clears him of all of the other stuff in the plea agreement and in there as the list of the statements of facts that includes burisma china Anything associated with influence peddling. This was his get-out-of-jail-free card. That's what this was. The DOJ, this is back to Will Sharp, a former federal prosecutor. He says, the DOJ, attempting to save face and save its case, stated on the record that the investigation into Hunter Biden was ongoing and that Hunter remained susceptible to prosecution under FARA, the Foreign Agents Registration Act. In other words, lobbying without registering with the government as a representative of a foreign government. Hunter's lawyers exploded. They clearly believed that Farah was covered under their deal. Hunter's lawyers and the DOJ are going to go off and try to pull together a new set of agreements, likely are narrower and less novel in its arrangement to satisfy the judge and move the case. They will have to explain their conduct in a public briefing, which may shed some light on the obviously tortured negotiations that led us to this place. Fortunately, the chances of any agreement moving forward with this kind of blanket immunity is pretty much nil at this point. 